Welcome to Secret Sauce for Success, show number 16. Hi, everybody. You have tuned in to the Secret Sauce for Success show, where we strive to find the secret ingredients that lead to success. We interview successful guests every week and learn their secret to their success. We sincerely hope you implement these habits into your life and become the best you that you can be. Enjoy the show. What's going on, everybody? It's Rick Stahl, host of the Secret Sauce for Success show. Live from Colorado, here with my co-host, Doug Kirstein. What's going on, Doug? Hey, Rick. Good to be back among the podcasting public. We've been away for a little while, but uh, it's good to be back. We've got a fun guy we talked to uh, here today, and I'm anxious to kind of get into that interview. But uh, yeah, things have been busy, man. Work and the summer's going by so fast. I can't believe my kids got about a month left before they go back to school. Yeah, do you have any other big plans to cap off the summer? Now nah, we're going to do a little camping trip here in the next couple of weeks, but uh, not too much else. It's going to stick around home and finish all the projects that I can finish before the end of the summer. I know that project list is uh, always there, right? <laughs> yes, it is. As long as my arm is, they say. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like I've seriously, we moved into this house like what, not 10 months ago. And I feel like I finally hit that threshold of, the, the number one priority stuff that had to be fixed is fixed. And now I think I can put their down to tier two level stuff. So I can, I'm going to try to start going mountain biking. I took Christopher out uh, up to uh, Evergreen. We did a little mountain biking yesterday. And uh, that was so nice just to get out and about and uh, see the mountains. We live, you know, so close to this giant park, you know, right up the hill there. There's so yep. many adventures to be had. So I, Hope to have some more adventures here in the summer, maybe even the end of the fall here. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, we just got, uh, we were talking earlier, I just got back from Breckenridge for a, a little three-day stint out of town. It's good to be where the air is clear and cool and uh, people are just happy to be around and relaxed. So uh, it's, it's good to get away, for sure. Yeah. That's the benefit of living in Colorado here. Absolutely. All right. Hey, do you have a quote of the week? I do. Uh, I like this one. And this is, uh, this is a little bit like Jock, I think our, our uh, guest for the week here. This is from Warren Buffett. He said, I'll tell you the secret to getting rich on Wall Street. You try to be greedy when others are fearful. You try to be fearful when others are greedy. I think that's, uh, that's sort of that contrarian type of ideal that uh, most people, we call it common knowledge, right? Or this the, that kind of knowledge that everybody has but a lot of people react poorly to market conditions and things that are happening in news that's happening and when people are going nuts and they they think everything's great you should be concerned but when everybody else is afraid you probably have good reason to go and buy right right so, right i think it's the same thing is true in real estate yeah you know like during this covid time yeah i think there was some bargains to be had but not you know maybe inner city stuff uh but not a a lot, you know, everything's been going up. Yeah. And I think that, you know, this is, uh, this comes back to something that Jock said. I don't want to have any kind of spoilers going on here before people get a chance to listen to him, but just talking about, do you need to have great deals or do you need to find the very best, cheapest property, that kind of thing? You know, the market's the market. You got to go out and find good properties. That's just, I think, the better strategy. Stop necessarily being so worried about finding the best deal and find a deal that works for you that there's a lot of wisdom in that. So yeah, during this COVID time, people are staying at home. Property values go up because more people 
you know, now they're not necessarily needing to be out and about. They want a bigger house, maybe with more office space where they can have two people working at home or even just one person working at home. So uh, yeah, the, the need for more individual property is, is in greater, I guess, a little higher down, greater demand. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Real estate, you know, and we talked beforehand here that, you know, even if you make a mistake, real estate's very forgiving and you wait long enough, things will come your way. Right. All right. Yeah. Just can we talk briefly about uh, Jock Parker, our guest? What a, yeah. What a, what an interesting guy. And also so different from many of our other guests that we've had on, you know, there's been some real themes that we've seen from the people uh, or heard really from the people who have been on the show here, things like don't give up and, and kind of the normal stuff where you look for the better deals and, and get out there and search if I have a good team and all of these different kinds of things. But he was so much less formal than that when it came to his strategy in, in real estate, where he was sort of like by location and it's less about the standard three bed, four bath or whatever, you know, two bed, three baths, whatever. Um, nature of a house uh, it's it doesn't have to be all brick and etc cetera, etc cetera. it can be just a house that's in the right area and you'll have you'll have renters and be able to keep your rents in a reasonable position and that'll get you uh, full rentals right everybody will be the only one of any vacancies everybody say. always needs a place to live that's right, right. That's what you said right yeah so very different in that regard so many people will say well my house has to be this configuration and this is what i like to do and i like to buy here like I like to do this kind of thing and he was not like that at all just really whatever comes my way in a good area i'll look at it yeah i just thought it was really neat to uh hear somebody that's been there done that and you know now he's retired you know that's where we would like to be someday it's really interesting to hear the how we got there absolutely yeah very much all right well without further ado let's get to the interview with jock barker sounds good Okay, today we have a special guest with us, Jock Barker. Welcome to Secret Sauce for Success Show. I'm here. Hello, Jock. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. All right, Jock, can you tell us who you are and uh, what do you do? Well, what I do is uh, I practice uh, looking for no responsibility at all of my life at this point. So I do nothing but manage my real estate investment portfolio, which is managed by a couple of uh, property managers. So... I'm on them all the time. So my job is to manage them while they manage my properties. Very good. So that's so, what I'm doing now. So you are retired from real I'm, estate, I'm well, totally except retired. for your investment. Right. I retired uh, from active real estate work, which was basically uh, doing seminars in the end. And I basically retired from doing that. You know, once you've accomplished something, you can't go back and do it again. Hmm. Uh, once you've once you've done something and got it, then going back is just miserable. You just can't do it. I've tried that with different parts of my life. I don't like to manage my properties anymore. I just pay somebody else to do it and stay on them. Then I get more free time to take off and do what I want to do. Hmm. Very good. So let's go back to the beginning. Jock, where did you grow up? And then how did you get into real estate? Ah. I was born in Hollywood, California, and I only was there for about six months. And my mother and father were native uh, Denverites, so we moved back here. And I ended up uh, going to school here. I picked up a half-sister along the way. I've had three mothers. Grew up in a totally dysfunctional, alcoholic family. 
And so that uh, made me just a little bit weird. <laughs> we all are to a point. Always was a car freak. Thought I'd get into the car business when I got out of the service. The service I did four years in the Air Force and spent time in like Libya, lovely places like that. And I decided that cars were the thing. So I got the car business, but I suddenly discovered that the passion it wasn't there because it was a business. And I started out selling Saab automobiles in Denver in 1960. And there were no Saab agencies west of the Mississippi. So I had the uh, dealership where we sold the only front-wheel drive car uh, besides DKW, which wasn't sold here. If I could sell you the fact you could have a front-wheel drive and how good it would be in the winter in Colorado, I sold lots of Saabs. I sold more Saab automobiles than any agency on, on the East Coast. I sold like 30 a month. Then I got kind of tired of that, and a guy named Chuck Stevenson, who owned quite a few car dealerships, came to visit me one day, and he said, I'd like to hire you to be a a manager for me. And I said, fine. So I went to work for him, and uh, the management thing didn't quite take place, but he gave me a record. He liked me. He gave me a a phonograph record, if you can believe that, by the uh, guy named Earl, and it was the, uh, The Strangest Secret. I've heard that record over and over again, and I finally decided that I need to do something else. In the meantime, I've been racing sports cars, and a couple of my friends who were in the real estate business came to visit me, and they said, look, we'll put up the money, and you can have your own car agency. Uh, all we want is a place in the garage where we work on our race cars, and we'll make you a 50% owner. I thought about it for a week, and I went to them, and I said, look, I can't stand the car business anymore. And they said, we thought so, come with me. And they introduced me to the real estate business where I got my license, got into real estate business and had five children. So I didn't have any options for failure. And I found the real estate business just a lot of fun. And it was really great helping people. And I had some good mentors. If you want secret sauce, there it is, mentors. You can have all the college you want and it makes no difference because when you get in the real world, the mentor has been there, done it and knows the way around. So I just followed my mentors in the real estate business and ended up selling 52 houses a year. And pretty soon that got irritating. And <laughs> and so I uh, went and started to sell commercial real estate. And I did commercial real estate for about six months. I specialized in apartment houses. That was getting a little irritating. And then they made me a, a manager of one of the offices. So I managed an office with 20 salespeople. And that went on for about four or five years. I had the best office. And then they made me the general manager, so I was in charge of 360 salespeople, 20 offices, and it was very busy. And then I got tired of that, started my own company. But in the meantime, what had happened was people were calling me and saying, would you come tell our company what you're doing? And I go, okay, so I go tell them what I was doing. And then that got to be so much work that finally the real estate people said, would you come to our convention and tell us what you're doing? And so I did. And then the national convention said, would you come tell us what you're doing? And finally, I thought, I'm going to start charging for this. And then I got into a thing called the Certified Residential Specialist Program. So I started doing seminars for them as well as selling real estate in my own little real estate company. And that got to be too much. So I just stayed with the seminar thing because that was a lot of fun. And I ended up specializing in a two-day course and how to invest in uh, single-family homes. And I did that seminar to 120 people like four times a month, which was 
killing me off, but I stuck with it because I really enjoyed it. In fact, I told people, I said, I, I do the seminar for free. It's just what I want to get paid for is going to the airport, hotels, the rental cars. And I hate that. So that was a lot of fun. I did uh, real estate people. I did uh, CPAs and attorneys. And in the meantime, I'd been collecting real estate. I finally got about 25 properties and I ended up paying them off with the extra money I was making. And so all the properties were free and clear. One day I got tired of doing seminars. So I just quit that too. Once you've accomplished something, you can no longer go back and do it again. Uh, Same thing with the race cars. I bought a race car five years ago, went back to racing. It was just two weekends worth. Went, been there, done it, sold the car. Went back to flying, rented an airplane for eight hours. Okay, done. Now I won't do that anymore. So now I just do artwork and uh, manage my properties. That's sort of where I'm at. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, so now you're managing your properties. Uh, How many do you have? You said you had 25. Are you still at 25? Yes, still 25. I don't want to accumulate anymore because I was always a leverage buyer. And as long as you're making income, being a leverage buyer is a good idea because you can pay if there's a deficit. Now, I don't want any uh, liability and I've got enough money that it's just fine. I don't need any more money. You know, time is what I need. I just like my free time. Nice. Mow the lawn and go to the golf course and watch the grass grow. It's, It's all good. What's the nature of your properties now, Jock? Nature of my properties is they're all single family. Uh, some are big apartment houses, some are small, some are just houses. See, somebody always needs to live somewhere. Right. Nobody necessarily needs to go to the shopping center that you just bought into that five years later is obsolete because the one down the street's bigger and better than yours and now you're vacant. As a matter of fact, if I were active in real estate right now, I'd be looking for big, beautiful office buildings. And I would be buying them because nobody needs an office building anymore. And the office buildings are now having problems. I'd buy an office building and I would convert it into condominiums. And then I would sell those or just keep them (laughs) and use them in rentals. Right. Worst real estate investment is fair ground. And the reason it's the worst investment is you're paying for it. Right. I like regular real estate where I just put a a little money down and and then the buyer pays it off for me. Can you think of another investment where that happens? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. And of course, the stock market, I get a kick. People know I'm an investor, so stockbrokers call me and they say, would you be interested in buying stocks? I'd love to buy some stocks. Yes. Show me your portfolio so I know who I'm dealing with. Well, guess what? None of them have a portfolio. So, you know, if you don't believe in your own product, what the heck? Excellent point. When I quit doing seminars, I had to hire my replacement. I kept getting these great real estate speakers and wanted the job. And I said, well, how many properties, Joe? And well, I own my house. I said, well, you're going to tell people how to invest in real estate and you don't own any. And I interviewed 20 people. And I finally hired a young guy who was an attorney, a real estate broker, and had uh, about 150 properties. Oh. He was also a minister. I said, well, wow, what? he's great. So I hired him. Nice. So I was wondering if I could take it all the way back. My question is, you, when you were selling your cars, yeah, I listen to other podcasts and they always keep saying, it's like, it doesn't matter where you start, just start doing something. Did you learn any sales techniques during selling cars and how to interact with people that helped you later on in real estate? Actually, going back 
further. When I got out of the service, I went to work at a department store. That was my first sales job was selling clothing. And somebody would come in and say, well, I've always bought a herringbone tweed and I want to do something different this time. And I would show them everything different. And you know what I ended up buying? A herringbone tweed. And I went, well, that's interesting. And I found out that people will do what they've always done, even though they tell you they want something else. So I said, okay. I've always had blue blazers. I would get something different. So I would show them everything else, then put them in a blue blazer. I was the number one salesman in that company just because of that. So that's what I learned. My mentors really was a guy named Bob Poole, and he mentored me in the real estate business. And in the uh, business of life, Jim Rohn. I read the Jim Rohn books. Matter of fact, I read one of his books, and it really deeply affected me. And years later, I read the book again, and I'm saying, I could have done this. I do this. I do this. I do this. And it turns out the reason I was doing it is I had read his first book and did everything it said. It just became me. So, What was the name of that book? I don't remember. <laughs> we'll have to look it up. But any Jim Rohn book. It's a great book. He talks about how he started out as a total failure, and his mentor helped him achieve what he achieved. But finding a mentor is the secret of my success. Uh, I found somebody who did what I did better than I did, and I would copy it. You said you you couldn't fail, so that helps drive your motivation. Yeah. But what were you out doing that was the secret? I just just doing what you're supposed to do, which sounds stupid and silly. My son's a doctor, and I and I I told him I said you need to market yourself. He said, Well, I'm a doctor. I said, I don't care how good you are as a doctor. What good is it if nobody knows it? So everybody, everybody's in the sales business in one way or another. You're constantly selling what you can do for somebody else. And you just do what other people want and get them to where they want to go. And you get paid for getting people to where they want to go. Not everybody knows where they want to go. And not everybody knows how to get there. And your assumption is, because you know how to get there, that other people do. And they don't. They really don't. My real estate broker did a little seminar in my office one time about how to do exchanging. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And within a week, I had done two exchanges. Well, I couldn't have done those without listening to how he did it. And then I, I found something I didn't know how to do. I was tired of managing a branch office, listing and selling real estate. And so I looked for something new that I was dumb at, and that was land syndication. So I learned how to do land syndication. And I will put together a huge bunch of ground and get 23 investors in it and make them all wealthy. You know, always looking for something new to do. Sounds like you get bored easy. I get bored easy. And you <laughs> want to try that next challenge. Yeah, I want the next piece. Want... If you already know how to do something and you keep doing it, you might as well be in a factory bolting a fender on a car over and over again. So you do something you don't know how to do within the related field and become a master at it. Very good. It's interesting. I appreciate that extensive background that you've got and all the different kinds of, of real estate work that you did, not just sticking to, to one little piece of the real estate game, right? Just a residential broker or a commercial broker. Well, it's interesting because in my speaking brochures, I had two packets, one for outer real estate and one for in real estate. They were identical, except one didn't mention real estate and the other did. So I got hired by all kinds of firms, and all I did was do the same seminar. I take the word real estate out. Sure. And that way, <laughs> it, it works. You're getting people what they want is the secret. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Just do it. Just do what you know you're supposed to do. Doug, you know you should be buying real estate, don't you? I do know that. 
Okay, then what causes or prevents you from doing that? And the fact is, if you have the reasons to become a real estate investor and you write them all down, for example, where can you put a small amount of money down and have somebody buy the rest of your investment? And after 20 years, you don't care if the market goes up or down because you still get your rents. You know, so stock market to me is a gamble. I went to a seminar one time. It was a three day seminar every night for about two hours. And it was on investing. And I, I, I love to go. So I listened. And every day I learned about investing in gold. I learned investing in stocks, oil, etc. It got to the end. The guy said, do you have any questions? And I raised my hand and said, yes. He said, well, what's your question? I said, you've mentioned everything in the world except real estate. Is real estate good investment? Of course, I knew the answer. And I sat there and watched the guy. And he went, hmm, hmm. Uh, real estate is the best investment of all. My hand went back up. <laughs> Why don't you mention it? He said, I don't know anything about it. What these guys were, one was a life insurance salesman and the other was a stockbroker. My wife said, hire him, have him look at our stuff. Said, okay. So I hired him. They looked at my stuff. Both of them said, you're 100% invested in real estate. This is terrible. You should diversify. Right. That's what everybody says, which doesn't make it right. Invest in something you know about well, here's my rule. Never invest in something you know nothing about or have no control in. So, well, tell me about the divesting. What is it? What is it? He said, well, you want to have some low-risk stocks, some high-risk stocks. And when the market goes bad, the high-risk stocks drop and the good risks go up. And I went, well, that makes no sense. And it doesn't. Right. Right. So I took their advice. I, I did change my portfolio. Half my real estate's in Colorado. The other half's in Arizona. So it did change. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom to this idea that somebody always has to have a place to live. That's not the case in the stock market. Uh, I'm an investment broker myself. People come to me asking about stocks and asking about investments and that sort of thing. And I always talk with them about exactly what you just said, which is you have stocks over here, you have stocks over there. The good ones go up, the bad ones come down, and and you kind of have this teeter-totter effect. Well, where's that getting you? One stock takes a step forward and the other one takes a step backward. Why does that make a lot of sense? So I appreciate what you're talking about here. It's, I think it's, it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. The other thing is that when you have an investment rental real estate, you can write off every year your taxes, any expenses, and take depreciation. And the government forces you to take depreciation. And the bad part is when you sell it, they want all their money back. So how you beat that is... Two ways. You either do what they call a 1031 exchange and trade up and use their money that you owe them to buy the next property with or die. Yeah, I know there's some 1031 talk out there. All I can do right now is guess what's going to happen. But, you know, the pain's only going to be around for a couple of years and the socialists will probably be voted out. Well, let's hope so. (laughs) Let's hope so. Yeah, I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Did, have you seen anything on those 1031 exchanges? No, no but I have. Uh, I updated my seminar on what the depreciate, what the uh, write-offs are on capital gains. Trump did an incredible job. If you make like seventy-three thousand dollars or less, and you have a capital gain, there's no tax at all. Great, incredible, and right. you know this idiot is going to change all that, fix it so nobody will sell. Right. So when somebody sells, 
for example, real estate. The new owner thinks they're smarter than you are anyway. They come in and they buy new carpet and they do the new paint and they do all the stuff which stimulates the economy. Back in the Economic Recovery Act, Ronald Reagan did. He fixed it so I could I had to send the government like $35,000 in taxes or buy something with this Economic Recovery Act. So what, I bought an airplane. I didn't have a pilot's license, but I bought an airplane, <laughs> put it in rental pool, and it was either send the government the money or buy the airplane. When I bought the airplane, that got the aviation fuel, mechanics, inspectors, aircraft mechanics, dealers, salespeople, puts all those people in business. And that's what's so smart. Right. And Kennedy was the first one to do it. Reagan just copied it. Right. right. Yeah, whatever happened to the don't ask what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, yeah. right? That's, I'll probably get banned now from the internet for having repeated that, but. <laughs> hey, can I go back to your seminar? So when you first started, you're you're learning all these different things. You you start your own business. You you just kept growing, learning, and then you got to the point where you need to tell the other people what you're doing, right? Were you scared first of all to speak in front of people? No. Uh, was there any learning experience as you started doing the seminars? Yeah, a lot of learning experience when I first started to get training. I went to a thing called Toastmasters. And I did Toastmasters for about a year, and then that's about all you need from them. I'd do a seminar, I would give all the best techniques I had on a subject. And then I would ask the group, I have 100 people, I'd ask the group, I said, who here has a technique they think is as good as some of these? And I would write down all these great techniques and put them in the next seminar. So my seminars were cutting edge because I had the best producers giving me their best ideas. So that just, that made the seminar really great i didn't see people like they open with a joke or uh, nah. no ums and ahs uh eye contact uh nah, dress nice. Any, anything no in particular? I, I don't know how i learned i just sort of for being a manager having to talk to the people is how i learned and then toastmasters but for example like a technique i would take from somebody and somebody said well if if you don't price the piece of real estate right the the mls is going to reject it because people look by a price. And if you're looking for a $500,000 house and you're priced at five twenty-five, you're automatically rejected because they're asking for 500000 and below. So you never get a chance at bad if you're overpriced. Mm-hmm. That's a technique. You're never going to get the last dollar. I never stole a piece of real estate. I paid retail for everything I've ever bought. And people say, well, I want to get a good deal. Well, The market's the market. Buy what the market says. Let's take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. Here at Stahl Realty, you are number one. I'm a realtor with HomeSmart, and my job is to make sure you are satisfied. Here is what one satisfied client of Stahl Realty had to say. Rick Stahl was an awesome asset in helping our family find a home that checks all our boxes. He is patient and committed. I would recommend calling upon his services. One of my favorite mottos is making milestones memorable. Buying or selling a house can be overwhelming, but with my guidance and expertise, I can make this process as smooth as possible. I can be reached via email at stylerealty at gmail.com or text call me at 720-429-3303. I look forward to hearing from you. And now, back to our show. Do you ever try to buy uh, like uh, investment properties that need a lot of upgrades before you? I love buy uh, investment properties that's messed up. Okay. 
because most people don't want to mess with it. Painting a dirty wall doesn't cost you more than painting a clean wall. So I would rather buy something messed up that's at a lower price and then fix it up. Most people don't have the time to do that. Okay. And how did you finance uh, investment properties? One way was I had a VA loan, so I used that. Another one, I didn't have any cash, but I did have a sailboat, so I used that to, to trade as the down payment. Another time, I had a second mortgage that I bought. So I traded a second mortgage to the guy, but I also made sure that I put no recourse selling stuff like that, making it part of the down payment. I would also ask the sellers to carry the loan. What's more secure, their property? You'd hope I don't make the payment. Did you get the property back, get to keep my money down. Right, right, right. There's a hundred ways to get involved, but the idea is you'll learn from somebody knows how to do it and get involved. But you have to come up with cash somewhere, right? VA loan. VA loan. Uh, money, I, money I would earn. You know, my savings, I'd use that. Being in a situation where you're earning money, I didn't mind risking with loans because I had the income to cover if they went bad. I get a kick out of some real estate people who say, well, what happens if I buy a bad piece of property and it won't rent and it's not a good rental? I'd look at them and say, do you know anybody in the real estate business? Maybe they could sell it for you. Mm-hmm. The yeah. beauty is a house is not only used for a rental, but if it's a bad rental, it turns into a house. Again, you sell it as a house. It didn't go down in value because it's a house. Try that with a shopping center. Try that with anything else. Right. What did you do during those difficult times when the real estate market was down and rents were depressed? I love to cut my expenses. For example, my wife and I tell the story of being at the, the awards banquet, and she's got her diamonds and her fur on, and I'm in the night tuxedo, and I'm at the head table, and everybody's just wonderful. And, oh, my gosh, isn't this great? And the next day, we're at the apartment house scrubbing out Laura Cortez's toilet because it's not working right. <laughs> Real estate is a little bit hands-on, right? It's hands-on, but there's not any investment that you have to be hands-on with it. In the stock business, you've got to have hands-on in your portfolio. I have a friend of mine who's an ex-real estate guy, was my business partner, and he invests in oil stocks. But he spends half a day every day reading everything there is about oil. Every day. And he makes $50,000 at the end of the year. But he spends half a day every day in the gambling world. Right. Yeah. You know, Both a, Doug and I do a little bit of stocks. Yeah. And... The president has a gallbladder operation. He just lost 50 grand. <laughs> right. There's nothing you did. <laughs> right. He has an operation now. I don't care. Nothing yeah. happens. Right. Stock market, you really got to track. And it's a moving target. Yeah. Okay. So the world goes to hell. People still need to live somewhere. I don't have any loans. My income may drop way down but I don't have liability. Right. Was that even the case when you still had mortgages and encumbrances on your properties? Or was it just really just a matter of degrees? Having a loan and having problems. Everybody's got problems, but as long as they're paying the rent, you're probably okay. Right. If they don't pay the rent, you put somebody else in. Right. And I don't have leases. I'm month to month. And why do you do that? Why do you do a month? I do month to month because leases don't do anything but protect the renter. If I want to throw somebody out, I have to go to court to prove them they were bad and broke the lease. If I don't like you there anymore, I just go ahead and say, time's up. You're gone in 30 days. Right. 
give them the notice. And for example, I just raised my rents on six properties in Tucson, $150 a unit. Now, if I had them on a lease, I couldn't have done that. And three of them said, well, we're not going to stay. We said, adios. And guess what? They all stayed. Because when they went out and found out what the market was, they immediately got back in and said, sorry. (laughs) What do you use to judge your uh, amount of rent? Uh, I try and stay a little bit lower than my competitors. When we lived up in Dillon, my wife and I came down on the motorcycle, and we were going to go to Starbucks down here in Cherry Creek. We uh, saw this house for rent. It was a duplex, really, for rent. They said, well, let's just stop and see. I said, how much are you renting this for? I couldn't believe it. I spent the rest of the day looking at houses for rent. And I found out that because I had not paid attention, that the market had changed huge. I raised everybody's rent, 100 bucks. Right. So how Boom. do you keep track of it now? I asked for a report from my property manager. I also get a report from the county that shows me what things are. And in fact, this, I probably repeating myself, but this last unit I just rented, I had 500 hits within four days on the video I posted. And we had 21 people apply to rent it. And I'm at $1,200. Well, it turns out that most apartments like that are fifteen to $1,600. Somebody builds a new apartment, they're building new apartment houses like mad. That doesn't bother me because they have to have rent so high to cover their expenses that I can always beat them now. Right. So I can, I can suck every one of their renters out if I want to just by lowering my rent. Sure, sure. Is there anything in particular you're looking for when you buy a property that makes a good rental? Uh, I look for good location. That's the usual thing is location, location, location. Well, investing, there's also another word called timing, timing, timing. But I look for a good location because the location is not going to change. It's better to pay more for something in a good location than it is to pay for something in a bad location. And I've made that mistake. I bought a property because it only cost me 800 bucks to get in and buy it. 800 bucks. But guess what? After two years of misery, I was able to get my $800 back. <laughs> Dumb. This is a great deal. Backed up to an amusement park. Oh, geez. Yeah. There's usually a good reason for a good price. That's the- <laughs> I think See how that works out. That's good. That's I'm like, Write that, that down, Doug. That's good. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere. I can't take credit for that. It's okay. If it happened within 50 miles, if you take credit for it. <laughs> okay. Hey, I like the way you think. That's good. Uh, yes. Yes, indeed. So these property managers, they charge a little bit of money, right? Take it out of your bottom line, right? Yep, they charge 10% usually. Yeah, and they're not as vested in your property as you would be. That's correct. Last month, I just fired the property manager, hired a new property manager who communicates, who actually goes to look at the property. They're all good at bookkeeping. They've all got a program. They all have bookkeeping. That's wonderful. My deal is I want you to go there at least twice a month and look at it. And see if it's still there. Drive by it? Drive by it. Get out of the car, walk around it, take a look. Walk through the hall. And then once a year, knock on the door and go in. That's what I do. Once a year, I go in them. Okay. So property managers, you want them to go look at the place. Good communication. Right. When I interviewed the property manager, called one, and I said, this is what I want. And they said, well, you want us to go buy the property like like once a week? I said, yeah. I said, well, we won't do that. So, well, great. I won't hire you. That's easy. I hired a property manager who's an ex-stockbroker <laughs> who is uh, selling real estate and has a property management company. And he only had 12 properties. 
So when I hired him, you know, I more than doubled his portfolio and he brought me his agreement and I crossed off the stuff I didn't like. Said, well, we don't do that. I said, well, this is what I do. Yeah. yeah right. You want me as a client, yeah. right? Well, it's our standard fee. No, it's not my standard fee. <laughs> so, you know, everything's negotiable. So he does what I want him to do, and he communicates. What a concept. So how often do they communicate? What's your expectation? Depends on how things are going. Okay. I want to hear from you maybe twice a month by a phone call and let me know what's happening. My property manager down in Tucson does a good job, but she's lousy at sending me my reports. So every month I have to call her and say, have you run off with my money? What have you done? Send me a report. So she'll send me a report, and there'll be a couple errors on it, and I'll call her back and say, send me a new report. This is wrong. That's her weakness. But she actually manages the property and goes by them. So that's good. One guy had been there 12 years, and he was a smoker. The white walls were yellow. The carpets were yellow. Oh, boy. Uh, it, it was awful. But I always tell people, you want to have a little reserve. You constantly have every year. Well, arrive this much in reserve. That's okay, because maybe nothing this year, maybe nothing three years, but now in ten years, three grand. It got me in the end, but I had the money because I kept it in reserve as we went. Now you mentioned a couple other things you look for in potential renters. Is you don't really care for tenants with pets. <laughs> I will not rent to pets. I don't care if it swims or flies. I still won't rent to it. I won't rent to pets. I want an atmosphere where people with allergies can rent. That's true. That's a good for the, not only now, but for the future. Right? I've never them. had a pet that didn't screw me over and cause me a lot of pain and discomfort and money. When they're looking for potential tenants, are you involved at all no. in the selection? Well, I am now in the end. Uh, the new property manager calls me and tells me what we have. And then I'll make a selection based on that. I've been teaching my new property manager how to do this, by the way. For example, one of the things I want him to do is go look at the applicant's car. That makes a huge difference. If their car looks like a sewer, they're going to treat my real estate that way. Right. I won't rent to smokers. If they don't have any more respect for their body, they don't have any respect for my property, and they'll just throw the cigarette butts on the lawn, which they do, and I throw Mm -hmm. them out. Do you like carpeting in your places, or do you like wood floor laminates? Or Well, I carpet. Some of my places in Tucson are the uh, polished poured concrete, which is the best way to go, but you can't do that in Colorado. Oh. Carpet's expensive. A thousand square foot will run about $3,600 with a pad installed. Yeah. yeah, it is expensive. You know, and if a cat pees on your carpet, you're done. I don't care who you are, you're done. Yeah. If an animal pees on concrete or wood... You can take porta potty fluid and mix it with hot water and mop it into the wood or concrete, and it'll take the smell away forever. Nice. I've charged that's you $500 for that because that's a real technique. <laughs> that's right. And beats $3,600 worth of new carpet. <laughs> <laughs> so, any other thoughts on what makes a really good property? Is it number of beds and bathrooms, or really are you just a location guy and that's really it? I asked one of my groups, I said, how do you select your real estate? Some people have like properties. So I asked them, how do you select your property? One guy said, got to be brick, got to be a thousand square feet, got to be within three blocks of a grade school. And that's it. And what a great guy to sell something to. I mean, talk about specific. He is narrowed in. Brick, he doesn't have to paint it. 
next to a school that will raise rent. Thousand square feet means two bedrooms, maybe three. He has a, a cookie cutter. I don't. I basically go by, I want middle class properties because I get starting out families who can't afford the fancy stuff. I get retired people and I get blue collar workers and they're the ones that stay. If you treat them properly. Keep the rents a little bit low. Keep, keep the rents just a little bit lower than everybody else and have a good location. And you said earlier, I had asked you about the nature of your properties. You said single families, but then I thought you also said you have some in like multifamily, duplexes and duplex, but all you're talking all like single family residence kind of places. The hierarchy of needs like this, the best possible thing to get is a little two unit side by side, a double. Double. Okay. That'd be number one. Number two, a house, freestanding house. Number three would be three unit or a four unit. Number five would be an apartment house. And then number six, you'd be down to something horrible like bare ground. And then you're into office buildings and shopping centers, which I don't do. Would you ever consider something like a mobile home or a manufactured home that's sitting on a lot where you maybe don't own the land even? Would no, that be the I'd have to own the land. I'd, have, I'd do something like that if I owned the land. But the fact that it's manufactured doesn't bother you as long as it's no. Most manufactured houses are put together a lot better than some of the houses because in the manufacturing process, they have the best lumber, they have the best materials. What I don't like is no eaves that come out because they can only ship eight feet wide. So the eaves that come out are are missing. The siding is like T111, which is junk. So, you know, if you buy something like that, you're not going to have good windows. You're not going to have good siding. But the bones inside are okay. Drywall is drywall. Two by fours are two by fours. If I ran into one, you get a lot cheap. Banks don't like them. Right. If you're going to buy one, you're going to make sure that it doesn't look like one anymore. What you do is you side it again with some good siding, put good windows in it. Yeah, I used to be in the mortgage business. This was back in the late 90s. Manufactured homes were difficult to finance at the time. But I'm assuming that the the quality of those homes has changed dramatically over the last 25 years, I would think. Anyway, and so maybe there's some give on that as far as the banks are concerned. Finding the ground to put them on is the hardest part. Hmm. So then what do you do for fun? You made it to retirement. You made it to the goal that Doug and I are striving for every day. I am a professional artist. Professional artist. What, what do you draw? What, how do I you get paint the... acrylic paintings, landscapes, clouds, dragonflies, just stuff I like. But that's what I'm doing, Matt, and I'm a car freak, so that keeps me busy. Okay. Yeah, you got a, any uh, particular model or brand that you like? Car-wise? I've had over 100 cars. Wow. I've wow. had everything from, I've had three Ferraris. I've oh. had almost every Mercedes model made, a lot of BMWs, a lot of Ford Lotus. Just, you know, I get bored, so I change cars like my underwear. Uh, <laughs> although the car I have now, I've had for almost a year and a quarter now. That's a rare thing. So, yeah. so it's interesting on Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, he talks about buying assets, not liabilities. Mm-hmm. And cars are usually liabilities. Right? Cars are liabilities. So how do you justify that in your head? Uh, I don't. I just, I'm an addict, okay? Actually, you know, if you could afford it, it, I don't lose that much money when I buy one. I, I usually buy right and then sell it right. 
And I think as you're starting out in life, trying to trying to get some traction in real estate or whatever, maybe you have to put those off. But at some point, I mean, uh, why? Hopefully, no, I didn't put it off. There. I was still doing it then. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was still. That was our hobby, though. <laughs> My wife and I jump in a Chrysler and tow the Lotus to Aspen for the races, and we go to Ponca City, Oklahoma, and that's what we did for fun. Good. You got to have some fun. Got to have some fun. Right. right. All work and no play makes Jock a dull boy. That's right. Right. And then what are you going to do next? What Anything on the horizon? I uh, just survive. Uh, 83. You know, we buy a house and we restore it and make it perfect. And then uh, I'm thinking about going to buy something in Maui, except I can't get my wife to do that. So I'm working on that. Okay. So I can either be found Maui, Tucson, or Denver. Very good. Well, yeah. go out there and live the life that we're striving to to get there, right? I mean, that's what Doug and I are working every day for, and I uh, look forward to the day of not having to go to work. Well, thank you for having me, and I'll leave you with one important piece of advice. Nobody ever got rich off their income. Nobody. It's what you do with your income. Right. Very wise. Very wise. Very good. Thank you, Jock. We appreciate uh, everything, you being on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Well, you're welcome. Thank you. You bet. All right. Well, we just finished the interview with Jock Barker. Uh, what an interesting character. <laughs> yeah, man. You said that um, in the introduction that he's a guy who's been there and done that, right? And so talk about a guy who's been there and done that. He's been in the business for 40 years or 50 years buying properties and now has, what, 25, he said. Uh, really has built up a nice little retirement for himself, a nice, a nice living. So, uh, yeah. Really fascinating fella. Yeah, yeah. And I thought the key to his success was that he would, and again, he he was a man of action. He tried the car salesman thing. And I still think, you know, I carried out groceries as a, as a kid right out of high school. I learned a lot in dealing with people in that one year. But just getting to know people, carrying their groceries out, you know, here Jock was selling cars, you know, and I bet he learned a lot during those years oh i'm sure i'm sure i think uh when he was talking about selling sobs right now sob is a really unusual kind of car it's not something that's particularly mainstream and to hear that out here in sort of this little cow town of denver at the time it was a very small town he sold more sobs than anybody on the east coast but he sold more of them out here it's because of the way they drove the front wheel drive, go through the snow, right? I mean, that's yeah. find what people want or need and sell it to them, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I remember back in the 70s and 80s when I was growing up, I think there was one person I knew who had a Saab, just an unusual car. I mean, you think Ford, Chevy, Subaru, Honda, Toyota, whatever, right? But you don't necessarily think Saab. So that was impressive. Yeah, and then I thought his uh, always learning and, what, getting bored and then needing to go on to the next thing, right? Yeah, right. You know, so he just learned, you know, then did real estate, then manager, then speaking, and all of them just keep building on each other. So, you know, like the bigger pockets, I'm a big fan of them. And they say, you know, at some point, just stop reading books when you feel like you, you have enough information and start doing something. It doesn't matter if it's the right thing. You'll fine-tune your process, whatever it is, and learn along the way and get to where you want to go. Right. So I thought he was a good example of, you know, maybe heading off in the wrong direction, but eventually 
uh, finding his strengths. Right. Well, I always try to tell my kids that, you know, it's hard to make decisions sometimes, but a decision is as bad as you allow it to be or as good as you allow it to be. So, you know, you can uh, uh, make a bad choice, but the choices you make after that can make it worse or make it better. So it sounds to me like, like Jock is exactly that guy. He get bored, decided to go do something else. Maybe he liked it. Maybe he didn't. But he took the lessons he learned one way or another and he applied them to the next thing. I mean, he said that he was doing these real estate seminars and he was talking to people, but if he took the words real estate out of it, you could apply it to anything. And that's, I think the real lesson of sales is it's not about what you're selling. It's about how you're selling it. It's about mm-hmm. finding that need that the person has, getting them to talk about it and then saying, Hey, this is how we can meet that need. This is how we can fulfill that, that need that you have. Yeah. I was hoping he would talk a little bit more about, cause he was sounds like he was doing really good as a real estate agent but then at some point he decided to start buying. And I wonder what in his mind clicked or just he kept seeing he's just a natural progression of buying assets and being in the business. And I don't know, that would have been interesting to hear there. Well, it sounds like he was probably kind of right place, right time kind of thing, given that he was able to be in the business, understand it, and then be making enough money as well to be able to buy investment properties. Uh, I was kind of floored when he said he sold 52 houses a year. Yeah, that's one a week, right? Yeah, one a week. Yeah. I mean, most guys that I know that go into real estate in their first five years, if they sell more than two or three houses a year, they're doing really well. You know, and established agents can sell many, many more than that. But it takes a long time to get your name out there and get people to know who you are, know what you're all about and all that kind of thing. There's a lot of competition for it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to say that as, you know, as uh, you know, he's been out of the business for 23 years now. Um, but I bet you when he was in the, in the game, uh, he was all, all about business, right? And when he said he was going to do something, I bet he did it. You can't sell that many houses without backing up your words with action. Yeah, I'm sure you're absolutely right. He was all about getting things done. It wasn't luck that got him 52 sales a year. It was hard work, dedication, probably long nights. I bet if you asked his kids how often they saw him in a week's time, it'd be, you know, maybe four dates a week we got to see him. That includes Saturday and Sunday, you know. Yeah, because that's just, that's what you do. And as a realtor, you don't work regular hours. You show houses when people are available, which is after working on the weekend, you know. Right, right. Yeah, anything else that uh, stood out? I really appreciated his ordering of properties that he gave us too. He said that you start with duplexes, then single family residences, then three and four unit properties, then apartment houses, and then maybe empty ground and things like that. And then uh, what, what the listeners didn't hear after we're ended the recording with him and we're just sort of winding things down and ending that conversation. He said, Oh, I forgot to mention, don't buy condos. Right. Something right. with the HOA, right? Right. Yeah. Because the HOA has too much control. And then, you know, I I think you mentioned even with some of your own experiences of having extra assessments for roofs and things like that, that now you have to pony up as an owner. Yeah. I I really appreciated that because there's, it seems like there's a lot of books on very general things, but there's no real direction that these people give you. And so uh, as a person who's been watching this industry and, and thinking about these sorts of things for a long time. Uh, I think I've read a lot of books about don't give up, look for good deals, and here's how you find your after repair value. But there's no real meat in there about how 
what direction to take and, and what to look at first. And I think that's a big part of it. So I really appreciated that list. Yeah. And I know we talked you? a little bit about property management. So yeah, I thought the interesting thing was there was the, uh, he doesn't do a year lease. He does a 30 day lease. So if he has trouble, yes. just send them on their way. And it just protects, it's all it's there is for protect the, the renter. So, yep. you know, if you don't, if, if the market is so tight, you can get by without it. Well, there's more power to you. And yeah, I, I should have fleshed that out a little with him. Um, and that he said that it, it just protects the renter, but at the same time, I mean, it protects you too, right? Cause if they don't pay, okay, so they don't pay, then they get evicted, but then it takes time to get them evicted. So, you know, you can keep their deposit, but maybe that's not enough to make up for it. So, you know, I guess it makes sense as he said that, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah. That's what a friend of mine does too, the 30 day lease, you know, so you can just don't have to ever evict anybody. Just, you know, 30 days, you can give them 30 day notice and they're gone. Yeah. yeah so I like that. And then he's really, uh, doesn't like pets, you know, and I can see that now. I All of my properties have pets, every one of them. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, and I haven't had any, that much problem yet. So, but maybe I'll have to rethink that. Well, I, I think that's an interesting point, but, and I get why he would do that, but Colorado especially is such a pet friendly place. I mean, people have dogs and, you know, I don't care how nice your place is. If I need a place to rent, I'm not giving up my dog. So if you want my money, you got to let my dog in too. Right, right. But he would just go to the next person that doesn't have a pet. Right, right. And I guess in an environment like we're in, that works. But apparently it it seems to work for him all the time. Right. Yeah, I've talked to him offline too. And, uh, you know, it just costs a lot of money to replace carpet. And, you know, I know I'm collecting 25 bucks a month, $300 a year. Right. But that's not, that's hardly going to put a dent in a new carpet. Right. So I'm thinking it might have to up my uh, pet deposit a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's a reasonable thing to do. I think there's a happy medium there to be found, especially at a place like Colorado. Yeah. No, I, I really enjoyed it. And the secrets to his success were, well, he had one, right? One big one mentors. Mentors, right. right. Uh, yeah. He said, get somebody who knows what to do, knows how to do it. And, have them be your mentor. That's what's going to teach you how to how to do the ins and outs of, the, of whatever business you're in, whatever it is you're looking to. Right. And I know the bigger pockets guys always talk about having a mentor, but they always say that's the mentee. You you need to bring value to the mentor. So don't just come in and say, "Hey, mentor me. I need help." Right. You need to say, "What can I do to help you?" To to kind of whatever gain access to you but i need to provide value right so that that's one thing the bigger pockets guys really do a good job making sure that as a mentee you're bringing some value Um, and then i really liked what he said about um everybody is in sales whether you like it or not whether you believe it or not everybody's in sales that's right that's right i mean when i used to teach uh, basic sales skills to people i would always ask them first question i'd ask them is you got any friends you know and if the answer is yes well then how did you make friends what did you do did you say you're, you're my friend now and then that was that or did you sit down and have a conversation with them and ask them questions and find that you had some things in common and then build the conversation on those commonalities suddenly the two of you are talking for two hours and you've got 
a lot of different things in common, or you talk for two minutes and you realize you get nothing in common and you move on to the next person, right? It's all about, that's, that's really what I think it's all about. And I love, love that he said that because that's, that's true. And I've heard that a lot of times from a lot of very wise people. My job, my day job is an electrical engineer. And, and I, a lot of times I don't think I need to sell myself, but sell myself my product, my past experience, you know, my past projects. But same time, I, I think I need to do a little bit better at being a salesman. Well, it's not, uh, it's definitely an art. It's, uh, it, there's a bit of science to it, but there's also a lot of art to it. And so it's, it's fun to be able to take a conversation and direct it and help somebody see what their real needs are and, and that, and then have a, an idea in mind of how you can fulfill those needs. That's really what it's all about. And I think uh, whether you're promoting yourself as an engineer or an investment broker, or you're talking about real estate or selling sobs, there's a, a formula for it that works pretty well. Yep. And then he mentioned uh, he read some Jim Rohn books. So I looked it a little bit up. It sounds like he was, uh, you know, in the past, wrote a lot of books. All right, Doug, what a great interview again. Jock Barker, thank you. Do you want to take us out of here? Thank you, everyone, for listening. It's, it's always such a pleasure for us to put these together. And we're so grateful for anyone who takes a few minutes to listen to some of the things that we find out, some of the the things that we add to that, and hopefully we uh, can boil it down at the end of the of the conversation to some of these nuggets that help people be successful. Jock is an interesting guy, successful guy, and uh, honestly, he has the retirement that I'd like to have. You know, he's got 25 properties all paid off. The guy's living the life of, of a free man, and that's just, uh, I think that's what this is all about. It's that financial freedom. So, Hopefully these are helpful to you. If you've got uh, any ideas for us, look us up and let us know. We'd love to chat with you. We'd love to, to hear what you have to say. And uh, until we are able to be on again, have a great day, great evening, and we'll look forward to the next podcast. Thank you for listening to the Secret Sauce for Success show, where we find the secret ingredients for success. We all want to be successful in life. So let's break down the steps it takes to get there and learn from other people's journeys. We hope that through the stories you hear on our show, you will find success in your life.